after I got my Bane offer, I went up to Chicago for like this welcome dinner kind of thing that they did. And I actually saw my interviewer at one of the dinner tables and someone else had asked this guy, what do you look for in interview candidates? So my ears peaked up because I'm like, he interviewed me. I wonder what he have to say. And I was expecting him to say like, they're really good at math. They're really good at structuring and communicating their ideas. But no, he said, first thing he looks for is... Welcome back to Recess, the unfiltered podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, today, Jacob and I were kind of debating a little bit off the pod and we're like, why, do, why don't we just talk about this on the mics? About when choosing your career, how do you know what, whether to start with a big company or a small company? Because we heard some opposing viewpoints where some kind of experts that have quote unquote made it in life, like Naval or some of these industry tycoons in Silicon Valley, they say start with a company or a school that basically has the largest and best alumni network possible so that you could get opportunities down the line. And then there's other people in the same industries that are like Patrick, but David, who say, start your career with the very small company. It's because in a big company, no one knows who you are. You kind of just get lost. When you're at a small company, you're able to make a much bigger impact and build this company up and make a name for yourself and then own, have some equity in it, right? Um, so how do you, which which side do you think? I guess we're both starting our well, I guess like to each their own, right? And I think both sides can be useful for different people at different times. And I think it all depends on like how do you even decide like what you want your career to be before you even decide like what type of company do I want to be at? Like what do I want out of anything? And then you can like kind of break it down backwards. And I mean we talked about with Luke about this, about how he says like goals suck and all this type of stuff. And – I guess the the thing I'd say about that is like if you look at it from like the ABZ thing, which is like basically like you look at the very end, like where you want to be, and then you say like, all right, here's the the next two steps I can take, mm-hmm. so you don't get lost into like, all right, now I'm gonna go on step C, yeah. then D, then the next thing you know I'm on H, and you have all this planned out. This, it's never gonna work this way, mm-hmm. right? And so you have this like end goal in mind of like this is how I want my life to be, and then you think, all right, the next two steps that are like the most likely to get me towards that goal are a and b and then i'll work as hard as i can on those and then after i like get those we'll, we'll keep going moving on and moving towards the next thing right exactly and so when you're in college and people are saying like you should do this career you should do that career you should do whatever and it doesn't align with like the end goal of like your life or whatever it is the end thing place you want to get up get to is like it doesn't really make sense to just like go blindly follow some career because it seems like the next best plan or the next plan for like the next period of your life when that next plan doesn't even get you anywhere close to where you wanted to be in the end i like that so it's just basically about taking a step back and thinking okay why do i want to do this right because everyone tells me i should be doing this in order to be successful taking like reverse engineering here's what i want in the end of my life and then what are my next two or three moves that are going to get me there right instead of planning out the entire route because plans change all the time um so for us we are both going into consulting at least at the start why did you want to go into it originally? So I originally went into consulting because I didn't know any better. I didn't know what <laughs> anything was. I didn't know what jobs a business major could get. I didn't know anything. All I knew was that I wanted to be in some way entrepreneurial. And in my mind, consulting seemed very entrepreneurial because you're solving business problems. You're working with a whole bunch of different firms. You're doing basically what seems like entrepreneurial work. And I thought that that entrepreneurial work could very directly correlate to one day running my own business, running my own firm or whatever it is, right? So my idea was, oh, I'll do go to consulting and I'll get a bunch of skills, network, 
meet a bunch of cool people, be on a bunch of cool projects, and those skills will directly translate into me running my own business one day. And then after like a couple of years, I'll start like building my own business. I'll be building my own business in the background and then turn over and start doing my own business full time. Mm-hmm. Now, what I realized was consulting isn't quite as entrepreneurial as I thought. And I kind of had a misconception about like what actually consulting was. Because when you're working at some of these huge firms in consulting, you're going to have Fortune 100 companies that are your clients. You're going to have these huge companies that are going to be trying to solve an issue. Well, the issue is this tiny, tiny piece of the overall firm. Mm-hmm. And that tiny, tiny piece for a huge company could be ginormous because 1% on their costs of shipping, whatever, could be a huge difference in their overall bottom line, right? So you're solving a big problem. But it's such a small part of the business that when you're solving it, you don't get a view of what the whole business does, how the whole business runs, how to actually run your own business. And it's not as entrepreneurial as you would think or Mm -hmm. I thought. And so that's why after doing a summer in consulting. So you did tech consulting that first summer and now you're going into what is a lot more aligned with your interests. Right. right. So my, my goal was originally to work in consulting and then do real estate on the side and then go full time into being building a real estate business. And I thought that the consulting would translate directly into making that business thrive in a better way and giving me the opportunities and the skills and the knowledge to like succeed in that. Now what I realize is like they don't really correlate as much as I thought. And so I moved out of tech consulting into real estate consulting. So I'm gonna be learning about real estate, get connections in real estate directly and learn about real estate while I'm working my full-time job, getting income that I can then translate that into mm-hmm. a business in real estate. Awesome. So that's how I thought about it. And I, at first, when I first thought about it, I was wrong because I didn't know what I didn't know. Exactly. And so what I heard from people was like, yeah, this is what it is. And I honestly didn't take the time to like step back and say like, do my own research or think about it in a different way about like what actually is consulting what a consultant do. I just heard like the buzzwords that everyone said mm-hmm. and then like ran with those and like assumed the best, like assumed the, the most positive light of what it could be. And then realized later on like, uh, that maybe that's not the right route to go. Exactly. I was kind of in the same boat. I came to college early on, joined a student org called IBC, Illinois business consulting. I just happened to like the people I was around and I was felt like I was learning a lot of skills. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to make a career out of this. It was not really realizing what I was going to be getting into. Um, and so what I liked really deep down was business strategy. I, like you, end goal, entrepreneurial ventures, kind of managed my own time, managed my own responsibilities, things like that. Um, and I thought being a consultant will help me gain these skills to learn a lot about different kinds of business industries, to meet a whole variety of clients and solve their biggest business problems, um, and then even work with other smart people and just kind of bounce ideas off at like 2 in the morning, right? That's what I envisioned and that's what I really wanted This past summer, I was a management consultant at a big four firm. And like you said, I didn't realize that I would just be working on a very tiny piece of a very big business, right? Because these businesses have all these massive problems. And so they'll come to you to solve like one little component. Even as a student consultant in these orgs on campus, I noticed like when I was with IBC, we would be helping a Fortune 500 tech company with one tiny little uh, piece of their puzzle that just did not give me enough like business strategy. Um, but then I was on the client perspective since we have the startup galleon 
of, of a different consulting org called Entrecore, where they help like startups basically and do consulting for them, where they were getting to look at the entire picture of the business and figure out all lenses of it. How do we make sure that we market better? How do we make sure we can uh, acquire clients better? Um, the legal, the finance, the operations, all components of it, the app. So that was really cool to me. And that was kind of eye opening as well. Um, but now I've transitioned more for full time. I'll be doing a more business strategy role than specifically what I was doing last summer, which was like human capital, but only for private equity firms. So we would be like interviewing the C-suite executives of different portfolio companies that the private equity companies were investing in and just kind of report based on that. So it was the same thing over and over and over, which is not what I thought consulting would be. Um, so now I am pretty excited about what I'll be doing next. How do you think about the whole recruitment processes? What do you think people should keep in mind? Well, I think first of all, I want to touch a little bit on, you know, I mentioned earlier that I was like, oh, I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. But like, why did I even want to do something entrepreneurial anyways? And why did that suck me into something like consulting? I think that like, it's also important to think about like, what are my actual things I'm chasing? Like, what are my actual values? And what are the things I'm chasing? Right. And so for me, one of those things was like success, right? Now, success is super ambiguous and like who knows what <laughs> success means to you versus means to me. And it's really easy to get sucked into someone else's view of success, right? And it can turn into something that it's not, right? So for me, I get into college and if someone gets a job at a consulting firm, everyone's like, good job. Like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. they're so amazing. They're so cool. Like they must be so smart. And it's it seen from the outside looking in like that person's really successful, right but in reality like they might be successful if that's what they actually wanted to get out of a career or whatever and like if that's what they actually want to do that would be more successful but like once I actually sat down and like decided this is what my view of successfulness actually is and like this is what I view success as like the people that were doing that I didn't want to emulate as much so not only did like I have this misconception of consulting of like, oh, this is why I want to do consulting and why I think consulting would be good for me. It's also like I wanted to be successful and everyone around me that was like, quote unquote, successful was doing that. And everybody who got applauded for doing mm-hmm. that thing. And so I thought by proxy, I should just follow that and do that. So that way I'd be also be successful like them. Right. Isn't that crazy? No one gets applauded for taking on some small different small sales role at some company where they can gain all these skills that could actually make them very entrepreneurial in the future. Um, but they will applaud the people that go into banking or consulting or like at a big tech company like Amazon. Like, yeah, you have to detach yourself from that desire and need, like the human need of like getting external validation from other people because the external validation is like, first of all, it doesn't really matter. And second of all, you're getting validation from someone else's perspective of what's right or wrong. And they don't know what you actually want and what your goals actually are or whatever. And so if I don't want to work 80 hours a week and I don't want to do the grind and I don't care that much about money and I don't even care about banking or whatever it is, and then I go take a banking job just because other people will say I'm like, successful or going to be successful or like applaud me for that i'm gonna go into it and like realize that first of all once a couple months after i get that offer no one's gonna really care anymore second of all i'm not actually gonna be happy in what i'm doing because i've chased what someone else thought was successful and so then i run into these issues of like what was i doing that for in the first place basically like yeah exactly what it comes down to is i mean you and i have had conversations with underclassmen we're not saying consulting or banking are bad at all i mean we are literally going into it because we feel like there's going to be a lot of value there 
But the problem comes in when we ask someone like, oh, like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, consulting. We're like, why? The crickets. It's like, oh, uh, it's just going to be very successful of a career for me and it'll open up lots of doors. Like, oh, uh, what kinds of doors are you looking in to get into? More crickets. Like, oh, plen- plenty of exit ops that will just help me later on. I don't know what I want to do now, so I'll figure it out then. And it's like, sure, that could work. But also, why not try and take a little bit of ownership of figuring out what you want to do in the future and then working backwards to figure out how you can get there, you know? Right. So we're going to put in the title of this podcast, like, how to break into consulting and all that stuff. And I, I'm sure you're wanting to listen to this. But so the, but the reason is that we want to tell you, like, all this stuff is that it's important to think a step down the line of, like, what's actually important to me? Do I actually want this? And what's the best move for me? Instead of just blindly following and saying, like, oh, everyone else says it's successful, so I'm going to follow that same route. And do it because my mom says I need to be a like have a high paying job or whatever. And long term, if that's not actually what's like right for you, you're probably not gonna be as successful as if you went the route that was like best for you. Exactly. And what suited your desires, your passions and goals best. And to be fair, we don't know what we're really gonna be doing once we start. These are both new roles for both of us. I'll be at a new company, you'll be at a whole new division. Um, so we're just making predictions about the skills we'll gain and how entrepreneurial it'll be and all that. But what we do know is the recruitment process. So why don't we dive into the gold there? (laughs) But basically like the whole point of this podcast is to live life on your own terms and not just make decisions based on what society or your friends or your family will tell you. That's like what you need to do. That's all. But I guess, yeah, the thing is to do is like when you're a freshman or sophomore or junior in college and you're deciding like, what am I going to do after college? I don't know. I guess the best way that I've seen to do it, like people do it, is number one, decide what's important to you in general, right? Is it, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, just decide what's important to you and then decide what type of life you want to live long term, right? Is it, you know, it could be anything. So just decide that and then work your way backwards of like, what is it that I enjoy doing? What am I passionate about? And how can a career fit that? And then what's the best spot I can find myself in the next couple of years to set myself up for that, mm-hmm. right? And so there's all these like debates about big, small, big or small company or consulting or banking or whatever it is, right? But ha- kind of have a long-term view of like what you actually want to get and find what's going to fit that best. And then go like all in on that while still having – being intentional about like thinking is this – taking time to think about like, oh, is this right for me or am I actually enjoying this Mm -hmm. or am I just doing it because I feel like that's what I have to do to be successful? I mean, here's a funny story and sometimes it'll work out for you in unexpected ways. Um, I met one of my good friends. He, when he was a sophomore, he was applying for internships and he's like, Rohan, like I'm I'm looking for all these internships. I'm like, great. He's like, no, but the problem is I don't want to do these internships. I want to do this Illini 4000, which is a bike ride across the country from New York to California. And he's like, but everyone's telling me in order to get this junior year internship, I need to have a really good sophomore internship now so I could set myself up well. I'm like, dude, trust me. If you know for a fact that you want to do this bike ride and that's what gives you joy, go do it. And funny enough, in all his junior year internship interviews, all they asked about was his bike ride. And they were so fascinated by that. They're like, wow, this guy's built different. Like, they'd rather ask about that than like some other regular internship that everyone else does, right, for sophomore year. So it's not always like, you have to follow this cookie cutter template in order to get what you want in the end. It's like, no, if you genuinely follow your interests, somehow they will work out on their own. And and it's interesting you say that because you have a very similar experience, right? You you mentioned that 
you did all the things in college you're supposed to do if mm-hmm. you want to get a consulting job, right? You did IBC for a long time. I was time. extremely did- cookie cutter. I basically looked at all the people who were at my dream firm and I'm like, what do they do in college? And I'm going to do exactly what they did, just all of them. So PGN, IBC, ICA, uh, TNM, like all those different orgs. Right. And then you get the Bain offer and you look around at all the different people that are working at Bain and like 90% yeah. of them are not yeah. the same as you. They all did like – and so I guess all that to say is number one to an employer, it's going to be way more interesting to talk to someone that's doing what they're passionate about, what they care about and finding how that fits into their like professional goals than it is to talk to someone that like did all the things they had to do and kind of like struggled through it because they like felt like they had to do it and like forced themselves to go to like an IBC meeting every week. And you can find yourself genuinely loving IBC or whatever it is, right? But if that's what you want to do, you should do that and then find out how it fits into your career goals versus doing something you don't want to get to somewhere you want to be. Because Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, if you're doing something you don't want to get somewhere you want to be, (laughs) <laughs> where you want to be probably isn't where you want to be. Exactly. And so if you find yourself in college doing something like some org or whatever it is that you don't want to do, you're probably just setting yourself up to do more of what you don't want to mm-hmm. do. And so realistically, like you do have to do things you don't want to do sometimes and it will get you to where you want to be. And like I know a lot of us, have, a lot of people that are successful have done things that they don't want to do. I've done plenty of things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And there's just some things you have to do. But realistically you don't have to always do the thing you don't want to do and so there's a time and place for everything you just have to reassess of like is this actually what i want to do or where i want to be long term and if it's not then like you're kind of wasting your time and energy and effort yeah okay well without further ado without further ado without further ado what the moment you've all been waiting for how do you actually land a job in consulting at least how did we right so let's break this like chronologically, like before the whole recruitment process, during the recruitment process, and then like right at the end of it, right after your interviews. Um, so before, there is some things that they look at. I mean, it's the same thing, like whether you're applying to colleges or whether you're applying to a job, there's some things that you just kind of have to do. Number one is keep a relatively high GPA. And I say relatively because if you're only trying to go for a 4.0 and you're spending all your time in college just to make sure you get that, you don't need that for consulting. You can have a slightly lower GPA that gives you more time to work on other things that you can now complement your profile with. Yeah, so most jobs or most companies have a min- minimum like GPA requirement. And anything above that like doesn't really matter that much, mm-hmm. right? So for example, one firm it's like a 3.5, another firm it's like a 3.6, 3.7, whatever it is. If you know like this is a firm I want to work at, you just have to hit that minimum GPA. Anything above that is like Almost wasted effort if that's your only goal. I mean, there might be other reasons, like if you want to get an MBA later or you want to mm-hmm. do something else. So it might be exactly. worth like keeping a high GPA. But realistically, you understand that like this is my only goal. Like this is the only thing I'm going for. Like I want this job and this. No one after your first year, after you get your first job, no one cares about your GPA ever, mm-hmm. except for maybe if you want to go back to school. So you had to realize, okay, I'll put the base amount of effort I need to get this GPA. And I'm going to spend that extra effort doing something else that can add to my resume to get me to this job where I want to be. Like exactly. I'm the prime example of that. I had like a 3.5, like 90% of, high, of college. Mm-hmm. I finally got up to 3.6, so congrats me. <laughs> but like really, I spent – And the, then you got senior 100 on top of that. There we go. Hey, I did. But it wasn't because of my grades. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it was because I spent all the, the extra time that I would have spent studying – like doing all the homework exactly right and all this extra stuff, putting all this extra effort in. I took all that time that I would have spent and put it into something else that I thought was, first of all, something I was more interested in, something I cared about more and something that would give me 
experience that actually mattered in my opinion. Yeah. So that's another thing now. That experience point is pretty good. So it's like what orgs do you join? What do you actually do in your extra free time after you've kind of gotten the classes and the baseline GPA out of the way? That is the part where I think I followed a very cookie-cutter route, but I know so many people that got to these companies in so many different ways. Anything that you find interesting that you can develop some sort of business knowledge from and you can create stories to talk about. I think when you get into those interviews, the most important thing is like storytelling skills, right? Um, But basically creating – finding opportunities where you can create some of the stories that you will be able to tell later and engage your interviewer or your audience in some form or another. Um, So whether that be – a consulting org where you could talk about different client experiences. Maybe you dabble with your own little startup where you gain some sort of business skills and understanding of how that world works. Um, maybe whatever, start a podcast, learn something about marketing or two, whatever it might be. As long as you're gaining something with experience that you can create stories out of. I think that's another big thing. So I think you need to have something to put on a resume. Like point blank, you have to have something on your resume. It doesn't matter what it is, but you have to have something on your resume. Because if somebody pulls up a blank resume and like, what did you do for the last four years you're like uh, nothing you have to have something on there right but things you can actually talk about too not like don't just do it to put on a resume so so my point is that people will do things only for a resume and that's not the right thing either so there's two sides of this this uh what spectrum right Mm -hmm. there's doing things only for a resume and there's not doing anything at all and there's somewhere in the middle you want to be right you want to do things that are give you actually the most skills and experience and whatever and then you can try to fit that into a resume versus doing it just for the resume right so if you look at i want to be in consulting right and you have i could do ibc and go full on into ibc and it would look great on a resume or i can go over here and do something that's more for me more i'm interested in and i can try to fit that into a resume i'm probably going to be more to the thing that's you're more interested in you care more about Versus just doing the thing for a resume, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to get, number one, more fulfillment for, from it. And number two, it is probably going to aid in better stories. You're going to be more interesting to an interviewer versus just being like cookie cutter base, right? Also, just like longevity and depth in each of these things that you do. Show that you can like go all in on something and actually like stick with it for at least like a few semesters rather than just like a semester of accounting club and a semester of econ club and a semester of IBC and a semester of this, right? It's just like just hopping around all over. Those are not the things you'll be able to talk about more in depth because you don't have as much like change over time with your own personal state. Um, So find things that you can actually go a lot deeper in. And for those, you're not going to go deeper unless you're actually very interested in it. I, my nerdy self, just happen to be interested in IBC, (laughs) which is why I stuck with it for five semesters. Um, But if that's not you, then don't do that, you know? Right. Yeah. I guess there's like two sides of it, right? You want to like look good on a resume, but you also want to be the person that looks good on a resume. Does that, does that make sense? Right. Mm-hmm. So you want to do all the things that like you care about, the things that are, will actually give you genuine experience and not chasing just the resume because the resume will come, right? If you're actually doing things that you're passionate about, you care about, you're gaining experience, you're learning, you're reassessing after time and saying, what have I learned from this? What do I gain from this? That you can all fit into a resume and it might not be perfect about how I did like this consulting thing to this consulting thing to this next consulting thing and all these different like things that aid directly into consulting because a couple reasons. Number one is having all these things you're passionate about, like I've said a bunch of times already, it's more interesting to an interviewer. And secondly, if you decide like you're a senior and you're like, whoa, I actually hate consulting now. If you've done like consulting, 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 consulting all of college and that's all you did and it's like it was just to put it on a resume to say I want to do consulting – 
now you're like, well, I have all these <laughs> things to put on a resume about consulting, but now what if I don't want to do consulting? Yeah. Versus if you do all these other things that you care about and are interesting, and maybe one of them's consulting, or maybe one of them's starting your own business, or one maybe one of them's like, <clears throat> I don't know, starting a podcast or a newsletter, or I, it could be anything that yeah. you're interested in, and then you learn things that will translate to consulting through those. Exactly. It's about the it's about the translation aspect of it. It's like I think there's three things that I've heard that these firms look for a lot. One is like intellectual curiosity. So are you consistently finding new ways to learn about new ideas and new topics and strengthen your own or challenge your own perspectives and strengthen your own understanding? Two is communication skills, right? A lot of that will be shown through the interviews, the case interviews and the behavioral interviews themselves. But are you doing things where you're constantly like maybe in communication with clients, with teammates or something like that? And then the third is just problem solving and analytical skills. A lot of that they get from like the math components of the case interview. But also are you doing things where you're continuously – that comes from the academic rigor as well. Um, but just things where you're challenging yourself to think in new ways as well. Um, so it doesn't just have to be consulting orgs to get into a consulting job. You know, People come from all kinds of different backgrounds as long as you're kind of practicing these three core skills. Yeah, and these team. translate to all things, not just consulting. Exactly. Even if it's not like a consulting job, these can translate to basically any job out there on the planet. And the second thing is now you're going to have an interview. Right, so you you got all this experience. There's, a, on there's your one more. There's one more little piece before yeah, that yeah, go ahead. comes in. Networking, <laughs> the golden word. Everyone hates it. Some people love it too much. Um, networking. It's like how many people do I have to talk to from each firm? How do I reach out to them? Do I ask them for more contacts after the end of the call? What do we talk about? The one thing I would say is start with warm leads as much as possible. People that you. So here's the cool thing that I saw in my experience. By doing IBC, by doing ICA, by doing doing Prime, Nobi, TNM, all these different student orgs, I happened to meet one or two people from each of these orgs that was going to Bain. And now when I start to quote unquote network my junior year or senior year when I want to get a job there, no one I talked to was like a cold approach because I always knew them from some sort of org. So there's a lot of common overlap with interests and things like that. So that was very helpful. So first start with that, build a personal network where your personal network ends up just becoming the same people at those firms. So you become friends with them. Then from there, when you actually get on these calls, whether it's a warm lead or a cold lead, do not just talk about the generic stuff you can find on Google. Don't just ask, oh, like, how has technology impacted the industry? Or those kind of buzz. Like, I used to ask those questions just to ask them to sound like I'm smart or cool. That got me nowhere. The questions that really helped me like form a relationship with these different people were ones where I asked about their experiences and their life. People love to talk about themselves. And so you ask like, okay, what have been some of the biggest challenges for you personally? Or what have been, what's excited you most about this role? That gets their wheels turning a little bit more and helps you get a deeper understanding of their perspective and how they feel at this firm. So that's what yeah, I would say. For I, have a, I have a specific question that I'll ask all the time in like these, these conversations where it's, what is your favorite, most memorable moment or mm. memory from your time at the firm? Mm. And it'll, everyone will be like, well, good question. Yeah. And they'll, they'll recount some random time. And it just gets them remembering, like thinking of all the great times they've had at this firm and that like they associate that with speaking with you. And so now mm. you have like even a more positive like interaction with this person just because while they're talking to you, they're having this positive dots in their brain right mm -hmm. so i think that helps as well and it's all about building a relationship with these person instead of like networking to network it's like it, it goes back to the resume if you're doing it just to do it because you have to do it to get in it's not going to work out well for you like you it, have to do it enjoy it and like 
make the most of it, right? And be very intentional about it and not just doing it because you should do it. Exactly. And if you want a job at one of these firms, you should at least express some true, genuine interest in the people you'll be working with, right? These should just feel like regular conversations where you genuinely get to know this person better. Otherwise, if you're just trying to meet them to meet them so you can get the job, that means that you don't even want to be around people like that or have good conversations with them. Then why would you even want to work there in the first place? You know, So <laughs> people can sniff out BS so well oh, and man, much better yeah. than they even think they can, right? If, if you are talking to someone and they're just doing it just to do it and they said – and they sat in the room and said, I need to talk to 10 people from this company and 10 people from this company. And I need to do this, this, this. You can sense that and you can feel that. Because it comes through in your actions and the way you speak and the way you talk to someone. You can tell how much someone actually cares and, and is genuine about it. And so the most important part of like this part of the, the interview process is just being genuine. And like actually you've done all this thought of like what do I actually want to do with my life and how do I want to get there? You decided, oh, it's actually consulting or oh, it's actually XYZ career. Now you actually Prove are genuinely it. interested. Yeah. So just like – Show that in in your conversation with these people and it'll work all out for you, right? Because it's all about that genuine and once you already did the step of like thinking about what you actually want and spending all this time deciding like this is right for me or whatever. The problem is when people are just like, well, consulting sounds cool. I'm just going to do it and I have to talk to these 10 people so I'm going to do it. It just doesn't seem genuine. It seems forced and it's not going to work out well. It's just not going to be fun for you either. I used to basically have these networking calls where it was like freshman, sophomore year where I would generate a list of like 15 questions for this person. And I'd be so focused on my question sheet that I'm not even listening to what they're saying so that I could ask the next question so I sound smart and know what I'm talking about. But that just makes the conversation like an interview and so robotic. Like I'll ask them, oh, like, how, like what's been the favorite part of working there? And they'll give me this really cool answer that I could dive deep into a, with, with a ton of different things. But I'll be just like, cool. Um, how's the work-life balance? And it's just like, wait, what? You're not going to even respond to me? That's how they probably felt when I was talking to them early on. And so what's going to happen? They get out of this conversation with you at the end of the call. And they're going to be like, I don't even remember that. If that guy's name comes up on a board and I'm like, have to fight for him, I don't even remember him. Or it'll backfire and be like, that was the most dry conversation. I gave him so much to work with and he didn't even follow up on anything. He just went to his next question and was just kind of using me. So ask follow-ups and be genuinely interested in what they have to say. We have two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice more than we can speak. Isn't that a – I like that quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it but, all just comes down to being genuine about it. Like it's not a don't, – don't force it. When it comes to networking, don't force it. Anyways, so then basically there was these three components, right? Keep a decent GPA, gain some sort of experience, and then meet people within the firm. Boom. Congratulations. You've been selected to interview on Monday, April 22nd. Cool. Now what? Now is the, the big day is coming up. What do you have to do? Now, different firms do it different ways in consulting. Usually, there will be some sort of case interview. That seems to be a common approach that these firms take. And a case interview essentially is just they will give you some sort of business problem and they will have you solve it on the spot. So this is supposed to emulate like a real case that they would have like six months to do. But obviously, there's no time to do that. So they're just going to boil it down into just the strategy piece of it where you're not doing any of the actual details. So it'll be like, okay, um, uh, Apple wants to – Apple is considering acquiring a headphone company called Beats. What should they consider in their in this acquisition or something like that? So you'll kind of – usually broken down into a few parts. There's like a structuring part um, where basically they'll just ask you, how would you think about this? Then there's some sort of math component. Then there's just like some sort of brainstorming. Um, and there's many ways to go about this process. And what people will usually do is just – do 100 case interviews before the actual day comes and then you end up just sounding like a robot and trying to 
think back to past cases that you've done and try and relate that information to this new case. But every case is so different from each other. So you have to pay attention to the details and ask a lot of questions. I think when it comes specifically to consulting, there's two things you need to do well at a case interview. You need to know how to flow well in a case interview. So you need to know how the case interview works, what like type of questions are going to come up. You need to know like the right way to like structure your case interview, how to run a case interview. So how to, if it's like a, a Bain type interview where you're like, you're going to be driving the conversation. You just have to know how to do that. And that's important, but that doesn't take too long to get good at and get used to. The other part is like actually understanding the business problems. Right. Mm -hmm. And so most people, when they think, Oh, I'm going to do consulting. I need to get really good at case interview. Like you said, they'll do a hundred case interviews and they'll get really good at case interviewing, (laughs) but they won't be good at the case because they don't know anything about the business, actual business issues. Right. And so, you get to split your time up, right, to where you spend some time learning about how case interview actually works, how to excel in a case interview, how to show that you actually understand the stuff. Mm. And then you have to actually understand the stuff. So you have to spend all the rest of your time actually understanding business problems, actually understanding whatever it is, that like profitability and all this type of stuff, mm. right? And so if you truly understand business, the case interview is just the like the way it like goes the way it works, right? Like you just have to understand how the case interview runs and then the actual business insight and knowledge that you have gained, it'll just flow easy, right? So how do you do that? That's how do you the understand? hardest part. So basically, yeah, that's where listening to podcasts, reading. That's where all the experience that you've done in the past, it'll come into fruition here where you've already learned about all this business type stuff from many different clubs, maybe whatever else you did that you actually were being intentional about and thought back to like, what does this actually mean? What are actually the issues coming? And then you can also do other things like podcast, read a pod, listen to a podcast, read the news, read Wall Street Journal. Like I'll read Wall Street Journal all the time just because I'm interested in it. But like staying up to date with that and like taking the second step to be like, oh, what does this actually mean? Like, oh, Microsoft is acquiring OpenAI. What does that actually mean? Like what 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 do they do? What did they do when they decided Why? how to buy it? Why do they buy it? Like how much do they buy it for? How do they value it? Just going that second step and thinking about it for a second and then just – over time, you'll just get used to like, oh, this is how a business runs. This is what a business thinks. This it's, is the type of yeah. problems they have. It's about putting yourself in like a CEO's shoes of a company. So if they decide, like you said, acquire a specific company, put yourself in the CEO's shoes and be like, why did I acquire? Why did they acquire that company? What benefits did this give them? What were the risks they had to consider? How would they figure out the price of this actual acquisition? All these different things. What would be the return on investment? The break-even point? How does this affect the shareholders? All the different stakeholders. Like it's so necessary to just think about those things. Um, a few different ways I like to look at this. Also, in a case interview, don't think of it as you're the interviewee and the, there's the interviewer. Think of it like. You are the consultant or the partner at the company and the interviewer is a potential client that you could sell. That client has come to you saying, hey, here's our business problem. Help us solve it, right? And then you will kind of work with them. It's not supposed to be like a back, like an attack back and forth like I know this and you don't know this. No, it's supposed to be like a partnership where you're both working together to solve the problem. So they want to help you. That's the premise of it. They want to help you and they want you to get through the full thing. So use them and ask questions, you know, to make sure that if, if there's a word you don't know or a business term you don't know, don't try and sound smart by avoiding asking the question because it's just going to end up biting you in the ass later. So that, that always helped me, that mentality switch. Okay, so now you killed the interview. What do you do next? Next, you obviously send your follow-up emails and things like that. Those should be extremely concise. Um, less words, the better. I feel like 
so many times in school, we're taught that we need to use like minimum word limits, right, on these different essays we write. And so we try and overcomplicate and be repetitive. And these people don't have time to read these long emails. And quite frankly, they know you're just kissing ass if you say the word thank you and I appreciate you three times within the same email. So just kind of get to the point um, and then hope for the best and then apply in numbers. Like all of these are – I mean they say the acceptance rates of these different firms are lower than like Harvard, right? So it's a numbers game at the end of the day. No matter how much you prep, there will always be some sort of luck involved. But you just got to keep keep head up and keep going. And realize that like you have to measure the inputs and not the outputs, right? Because in reality, you can look at someone and say, oh, they have a Bain offer. They must be so smart. And this person, this other person didn't get a Bain offer and they applied. But like you don't know that like how it all went down or there's so many things behind the scene that you just can't see. And you can't just measure it that directly to where like, oh, smart, get the Bain offer. Or I did all these things, I'll get the Bain offer. Or I didn't, so I won't, right? Because it doesn't really work like that, right? There's so much luck involved in these things to where you just can't look at it and say, well, I must suck because I didn't get any offers. So it might not work like that. You might have had like an interviewer that just had a bad day and like you're his 17th interview of the day or whatever and he's tired and he like doesn't remember or whatever. You know what I mean? Or you can... It can just be so many different things that come into this. And so really if you focus on the inputs and all the things you're doing and all the effort you're putting in and all the – you're going to come out the other side better and more prepared. And the offer itself doesn't really mean as much. Exactly. Right? I mean and every interviewer is so different. Like you said, I'll share a quick little story. <clears throat> After I got my Bain offer, I went up to Chicago for like this welcome dinner kind of thing that they did. And – I actually saw my interviewer at one of the dinner tables and someone else had asked this guy, what do you look for in interview candidates? So my ears peaked up because I'm like, he interviewed me. I wonder what he'd have to say. And I was expecting him to say like, they're really good at math. They're really good at structuring and communicating their ideas. But no, he said, first thing he looks for is um, some sort of sense of humor or how they deal with humor. So he, he this guy actually teased me about one of the lines of my resume. Uh, I had Galleon on there and he was joking about how Galleon was a failed hedge fund. That's where the name came from. And he wanted to see if I would get all defensive about it or if I'd laugh it off kind of and match his his level, right? So I did that. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Number two, he said, was EQ, emotional intelligence. And the way he would measure it was fascinating. He would basically change the inflections in his voice and see how the interviewee m- deals with that. So he started off the call extremely bubbly, like, hey, how's it going? How's your day? Good to see you. And then, like, he just switched Halfway through the interview, like deep, barely gave me anything to work with, two-word responses, and he wanted to see if I would keep my bubbly sense or if I would be able to like work with his new personality. So that was a really interesting one, I guess subconsciously. Um, and then his third thing was composure under pressure. And this is what screwed me during my junior year interviews, where I got so caught up in the pressure of messing up one little part that it affected my confidence the rest of the interview. So he basically gave me this one slide And it was like the premise of the case was upgrading to a new software system for an auto shop company. He gives me the slide. He says we can either version, either upgrade to version B or version C. And he gave me like two benefits of version B and like three benefits of version C. That's it. No quantitative data, no anything to work with. So he's like, which one should they upgrade to? I was like, "Uh, they should go with C because of X, Y, Z. He's like, oh, so is that what you're going to tell the shareholders? You're going to tell them no numbers associated with it? You think that's going to go well in the board meeting? He hit me with this kind of tone of like, you're an idiot kind of thing. And so I was like, I know what he's doing here in my mind because I'd gone through this junior year. So I'm like, ah, good point. You're right. That would be pretty silly. Uh, Are you cool if I make up these assumptions and we go with that? 
And he's like, mm. he didn't give me anything. So I made up these assumptions. He's like, okay, sounds good. I like that. Um, so it's like everyone looks for different things and there's no one right way to do it. But it's about like if you work on building some of those foundational skills of just business knowledge, like we said, by looking at podcasts, news articles, and just uh, second is biz- experience, whether that be biking across the country, um, joining consulting orgs, working on your own business, something like that. Third, um, talking to people at the firm to hear about their experiences and be genuinely interested. And then fourth, just working on keeping some baseline level of academic rigor and uh, keeping your GPA up. That's, that's going to set you up well. Yeah. And finally, like, like I said, just to reiterate this point is like the offer has so much luck associated with it that you can't attach your value mm-hmm. as a professional candidate or as a person to this offer. And you just have to be mindful that there's so many other external factors that you have zero control over that might happen. And so, yes, it's a numbers game, right? So you have to apply to a bunch of firms and hope you get one or two. But also, it's it's not about like you're not a better you're not better for getting an offer and you're mm-hmm. not worse for not getting an offer. Exactly. Those things are are not you don't have so much control over that and you can only do what you can do. So focus on the things you can control and make the most out of those and eventually it'll probably work out for you. It's you just can't put your value on some external thing like an offer from a company because realistically there you just don't know what you don't know and you don't know that some interviewer might just not want to hire anyone or the the firm could just be hiring less people or whatever it is they're just looking for something that you're not totally like mm-hmm. aligned with right so you just don't put your value associated with a, a job offer exactly. right when it comes to like consulting or whatever and it's it is. so hard to do when you see your friends who might have like put in like 15 hours of work and they get the consulting offer and you've sitting there like put in like hundreds of hours and then you don't get it you might think that you're less of a quality person or you don't know as much about business as they do and no it's not like that at all there's so many other factors that go into play so it's just like the harder you're, the harder you work the luckier you'll get eventually um, right so you just got to keep keep working at it and if that's your total total goal just keep going for it and something will probably work out for you yes last thing i'll say i should have mentioned this earlier the biggest thing for me the difference between my junior year um interviews in my senior year was my confidence with math. If you know a lot about business knowledge and you're good at brainstorming solutions and you can communicate and BS well, if you cannot do the math, your confidence is still going to be shaken and it's going to affect your entire case. That's what used to happen to me where I would kind of know the math and, but just kind of knowing it did not give me this internal confidence of like, I'm that guy, I'm him. I know I'll be able to get this, you know? And I actually create, after I got my senior year offer, I basically created a, it's just four pages. It's literally just four pages. It's a doc of almost 95% of what you need to know for math for case interviews. It covers the entire breakdown and like, you know, in geometry, we would do proofs of how you actually get there. I basically made out my own proofs of profitability, break even point, ROI, and payback period. Literally, if you know those four, you are going to be set for 95% of case interviews, in my experience at least. And I'll send this to so many people. And then I will like, check in with them like, oh, you get a chance to like, look at that doc. And I'll ask them like, how do you uh, actually come to break even from these numbers? And they just won't know. It's just four pages. And if you're interested and you genuinely want to excel in this industry or get a job here, please hit me up and I'll send you this document and just study the crap Can out we of it. put it in the, the description? Yes, we'll do that. It's just a Google doc. It's pretty simple to understand on it. Um, and let me know if you have any questions. I like Throughout college, I've loved, both of us have loved kind of helping out people understand more about this space and whatever successes that we've gotten in this area, we want to help give back. 
now we're graduating college. There's not going to be people walking around the BIF, our business school building all day asking us questions. So if you are interested, definitely hit us up. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the pod. Just a quick recap is just, you know, think about what you want from life and make sure the career that you're striving for or going for is fits that what you actually want. And it'll give you what you actually want and are passionate about. And then don't you got to detach yourself from needing that external validation from someone else because other people are they don't have the same goals and same end mindset of you and all this type of stuff. And so when you're searching for someone else's external validation, you're going to be sucked into what they want and what they're doing and all this type of stuff. And you can lose sight of what you actually want, what's going to make you internally fulfilled and happy. 100%. And then once you've finally got that all down, we talked about all the different tips of like how to succeed once you actually decided like this is actually what I want to do and these are the reasons. And a lot of those things come from just like being so sure that this is right for you. Because if you just like randomly want to go into a career and just decide, oh, I'm just going to apply for some consulting firms and you get there and like you, you're not probably not going to be as confident and like this is what I want and it's going to come off that way. And so you're not going to be as genuine. So genuinely want what you want and it'll come off a lot better than if you just like, yeah, I get whatever. Consulting sounds cool. I'm just going to do it. Absolutely, man. And if this, this is definitely a different episode than what we usually do. If this is your first episode listening, um, basically in recess, we interview a bunch of other people that have who are builders, creators, and people that are living life on their own terms in some regard. And if you want to hear some of their other stories, check out some of our other episodes. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that that's the episode. Take See care. ya.